I don't want to miss the glory either, but some of you probably missed the donkey that was uh, here. If you didn't see, there was really a real live donkey here, but you didn't get to see him. Well, that's okay. Uh, The song was Don't Miss the Glory, not Don't Miss the Donkey. And uh, as we gather around the word, our our word for the day is oxymoron. Because Palm Sunday always has that notion within me. It's oxymoronic. It's it's those words that just don't go together. It's a paradox. You know, those things that are just counterintuitive, uh, like uh, fresh raisins. Uh, How does it just doesn't they just don't go together diet ice cream (laughs) something's got to give there or a uh brief preacher Uh, it's another one just just don't uh, go together at all in our our passage and the events of, of palm sunday show us a servant king, a humble God. Words that we just don't put together and don't even grasp what they look like. And I think that's what, why Palm Sunday is so difficult to, to grasp and understand and why, though, we recount it every year. That we have the palms and the children and the celebration and the chaos of the parade to put us in that place of just that it's all swirling around us. That our God is so humble. The one who is our king is our servant. Passage that highlights this, that retells this story is in John chapter 12 as we've been working through John this year. We'll start with verse 12 and actually go through even verse 28. It's found on page 875 in your pew Bible. It's also on the screen if you want to read along to this passage that tells us the story of this oxymoron. Let's pray together. Gracious God, thank you for your written word. Thank you for your living word who indwells us. We ask now that you would speak to us in such a way that we would hear your word for us, the the particular ways that your written word applies in our lives and to change our actions, to change our thoughts, to form us more in whom you want us to be. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. John chapter 12, starting with verse 12. The next day, the great crowd that had come to the festival heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord, the King of Israel. Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it. As it is written, Do not be afraid, daughter of Zion. Look, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. 
His disciples did not understand these things at first, but when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things had been written of Him and had been done to Him. So the crowd that had been with Him when He called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised Him from the dead continued to testify. It was also because they heard that He had performed this sign that the crowd went to meet Him. The Pharisees then said to one another, You see, you can do nothing. Look, the world has gone after Him. Now among those who went up to worship at the festival were some Greeks. They came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, and said to him, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Philip went and told Andrew. Then Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus. Jesus answered them, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Very truly, I tell you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains just a single grain. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Those who love their life lose it. And those who hate their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me. And where I am, there will my servant be also. Whoever serves me, the Father will honor. Now, my soul is troubled. And what should I say? Father, save me from this hour. No, it is for this reason that I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it and I will glorify it again. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I want to just consider this event. Consider what's going on in Jesus' life right here in these first eight verses, verses 12 through 20. I mean, right now, right at that point, with the palms going, the donkey, the whole bit, he's at the height of his popularity. I mean, he is where any king would want to be. They're, they're quoting the, the Psalms in front of it. Psalm 118, where they quote, Hosanna, blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. And, and then they say to him, you're, you're the king of Israel. We're, we're told in verse 17 that Lazarus is hanging around. Now that's a good campaign move, huh? Yeah, the, the story that he can tell and the reality of his presence and everybody that's there that has seen him being raised from the dead and now others are, are, have heard and so they're gathering there. And even the opponents have given up. The, the religious leaders of the day, they said, oh, forget it. You know, verse 19. You know, the whole world belongs to him. How little do they know the truth that they speak in that moment? And then verse 20. It's time to expand his markets because he's been just with Israel, but now we're told some Greeks. That's a whole new venue for him to expand. Some Greeks are there and they want to hang with Jesus. Kings are usually known for how they use power to get their own way. Kings are usually known for how they use power to, to protect themselves, to, to please themselves, to amass their fortune. 
Kings usually then at this time would take advantage of groupies and new interests in order to affirm, reaffirm, and expand their rule. Would usually ride this wave of popularity as far as they could. And usually riding a donkey doesn't do it. They don't usually ride on donkeys. But even the disciples, were, were, they, they were confused by this. And John tells us, you know, we, we know now, now that I'm writing this, we know now he's fulfilling Zechariah 9.9. That's what he talks about with the king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. And he even says, we didn't understand it at the time. The disciples were probably caught up in the moment as well. Didn't realize just what kind of king Jesus was. Jesus is. Zechariah 9 9. Rejoice greatly, O daughter Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter Jerusalem. Lo, your king comes to you, triumphant and victorious is he, humble and riding on a donkey. It's only a servant king, a humble God, who rides a donkey in victory. What does this mean for us? That, what does this mean that, that we have a humble God, that we have a king, we have a leader who is our servant? What this, this means, even though God, we understand, is the creator of the universe, grand, high, and lifted up, transcendent, beyond our ability to comprehend, we have a God who is made accessible to us. We have a God who, who walked the streets with us. A God who could seem untouchable, unknowable, but He purposefully makes Himself knowable to each one of us. Purposefully humbles Himself so that we can have access, that we can know Him, that we can relate to Him, that we can hear from Him. That we can follow him. The writer of Hebrew that tells us that in Christ we are bold when we approach the throne. Only a servant king, only a humble God takes the throne room down to be on the same level with his minions. Because we have a servant king, each one of us, created in his image, have access to our creator. If you want to know God, he's made himself noble. If you want to follow God, he's he's made himself available for us to follow, for us to know He guides us. He comforts us. He forgives us. He changes us. He leads us according to His good and perfect will. That's the nature of a servant, humble God. And that's why we gather. That's that's what church is all about, is for us to help one another, to support, to encourage, to strengthen one another, to know God together, to follow God together. 
to receive and share His love. For because we have a servant king, a humble God, He is eminently accessible in Jesus. If you don't know Him, it's because you haven't asked. Simply says, seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened. If you are here this day and you're feeling like you, you don't know God, you, you, He doesn't know you, in the stillness of your heart right now, I challenge you, beg you, ask you, encourage you, simply ask Him, all right, God, I want to know you. This guy up here is telling me I can know you. That because Jesus became one of us, because Jesus is so humble, I can know you. Then simply ask, I want to know you. And I invite you to, you can say it now. You can, at the conclusion of the service, wherever, tell somebody else. I'll I'll be around. There'll be somebody in the prayer room. If you are serious, you're here and you want to know God, ask Him now and then tell somebody else that that's your desire so that then we can walk on a journey of a relationship of walking with our humble Savior and Lord. But that's the reason that He came. So that we could know Him in an intimate way, a personal way, in a real way. We serve a God who is humble, a king who is a servant. The oxymoron comes even grander, more difficult to understand. In verse 23 and 24. This really doesn't make sense. This is the chance for markets to expand. This is the chance for him to move into the Greek world. And and he goes off on this statement about if you want to... You want your life, you got to lose it. If if you love your life, you're going to lose it. If you hate your life, that's how you gain it. Whoa. That is not the first words I would say of how to win friends and influence people. What does he mean? What does he mean with that statement? Well, he gives us an illustration. He says, unless a seed falls into the ground, it remains a solitary seed. It just stays what it is. It never changes. But until the seed falls into the ground, in a sense, surrenders to the ground, and surrenders to the process of a seed being in the ground, when it does that, then it's transformed into something that bears fruit. But a seed must die in the ground in order for then the process of transformation to take over, to create something brand new, something that bears fruit. I think the ground in this illustration is God. And that any human being, to fully realize the purpose for which we were created, must submit totally to the ways of God. Surrender to the love of God. 
Let go of our own control, of our own strategies of earning God's favor or working our way up the ladder of success and just simply surrender, fall into the ground of God's love and say, okay, God, what you want me to be, that's what I want to be. Jesus uses this language of hate and love a couple times. There are other times in the gospel that he says, you got to hate your mom and dad, your brothers and sisters, and, and, and love me. It's actually not that common, but it is used in different Hebrew poems and other writings in Jesus' day to, to just show a stark difference, to, to grab attention. Another way of exaggeration to say that you got to love God above all else. And you've got to be really careful because the life that God's created is around you is a joy and a pleasure to enjoy of, of God's presence in and around us. But if that life that you have, if it begins to infringe on your love for God, be really careful because that will destroy you. It's called idolatry. If there's anything else besides the God of creation that, that leads you, that directs you, that you give yourself to, Put it aside. Don't let it get in the way. Just like Jesus, in the midst of the chaos, in the midst of all that was going on at that parade with palm and children and all that was going on, he kept his eyes focused, his nose pointed to his Father, obeying him to the end. I think there are two reasons why Jesus gives this tough teaching right here. That, that if you, you want to really gain life, you've got you to gotta hate your life in this world so that you love the life you have with God. One, he, he never has been one to try to win an election or gain market share. He's, he's trying to develop followers for God. Disciples. That's his purpose. That's his goal with us. And and so he will be painfully honest in order to help us be all that God created us to be. I think he's also reminding himself at that moment of his purpose. And in in the fullness of his humanity... The the fullness of of His humanity. He he serves the Father perfectly. He fulfills the Father's will at this moment as a servant king, a servant unto the Father. In in the fullness of His humanity, the, the temptations, not the singing group, but the different voices calling him to serve something else had to be grand at that time. I mean, you you ever been with a a group of people and they're shouting you on? I mean, I've seen people do things that are idiotic when groups of people, just a small group of people, and it particularly happened in college. But when a group is around you, that can sway you greatly. Can you imagine coming in on a donkey and palm branches? You're the king of Israel. You're the new king of Israel. And the fullness of his humanity had to be temptation to, to sway from the purpose that he had. But as we know, if you recall in the other gospels, the stories of the temptations with the devil, he refused to succumb 
I think he was reminding himself of why he was here. I mean, come on, in the fullness of humanity, haven't you gone into a room and forgotten the purpose you went into it? Come on, raise your hands, you know, yeah, you do that. I mean, if, if we do it just because we go into the basement and we go down there and we're, we start, we turn on the lights and we open our eyes and we're like, okay, wait a minute, why am I here? Right? Or even worse these days, you get on the computer. Right? Well, I'm just going to go look for the directions to the place I'm going tomorrow. And you get on the computer, and after checking Facebook and email, seeing what the scores are, an hour later you get up, and what did you forget to do? Check for the directions that you went down there. How easily we're distracted. And Jesus, in the fullness of His humanity, Himself and for us, Wants to make it clear, obviously clear, extravagantly clear. Exaggerates the words. If you want to love, you got to love Him and hate everything else. Don't let anything else sway you from following the way of God. And that's what Jesus even was facing at that moment. Yet He continues to be a humble God, a servant king. For in verse 27, he says, Now my soul is troubled. That, that word troubled doesn't just mean got a little indigestion. Got some butterflies. That, that word is, can also be translated a riot. He has a riot within him. A terror, a fear that is boiling within him. He is troubled in his soul. A riot's going on within him. Right at this moment. It, it, see how oxymoronic this thing... I mean, this is his highest point of popularity with all the rest. And yet he's saying, this is my moment of a riot within me. And what should I say? Father, save me from this hour? No. For it is this very reason that I've come to this hour. And he then follows his own words. Let everything else be nothing. Glorify yourself, Father. Glorify yourself in me. Your glory and nothing else. What trust? Knowing that in the Father's hands, he was in the hands of a humble God. Kings don't usually keep moving when they feel troubled. Kings usually stop when they feel troubled. And they send somebody else. Kings don't usually suffer for the good of their servants. But our king is a servant king even though a riot is going on within him and a riot around him, he is focused with his nose pointed directly in the direction of the plan and the will and the purpose of the Father for him. Because we have a servant king, we have access to the Father that is free and clear. 
that is knowable by us. Now, we're not going to be able to explain every question and every answer, everything theologically and all the rest, but we can know it in our heart. We can know it in our lives. And because we have a servant king who tells us that we can follow him, because he leads the way, we can follow him even into the point of trouble. Trouble in our very soul in order to glorify God. We actually, as we talked about last week, we are the leaders of his mission now. We, we now lead the mission that he carried out, that he completed at this time, the glory of the Father. That mission is now ours. Jesus has ascended into heaven. The Spirit is upon us so as to equip and empower us to carry out his mission. So in order to be leaders for the world of the love of God, we've got to be a follower of Jesus. So I want you to consider in your own lives, where's the place where there's a riot going on in your soul. Maybe it's not a riot, but it's a few butterflies. Maybe they're birds. Where is that? And it's because the voices of the crowd are tempting you to go the way of the world. But the voice of God is saying, no, don't go that way. That is, not, that is not going to serve you and it is not bringing me glory. You can think at times, that's the case. When you're at a party and the alcohol is going around and you're 19, you know the temptations and just how troubling it is to say no thank you. Or when the, the bedroom is open and there's a member the opposite sex to whom you're attracted and the opportunity is there. The riot within you to stand up and say no. That doesn't bring my father glory. As an employee and uh, the boss is asking you to do something that you believe and know to be immoral, improper, dishonest. And there are riot. But then you at times to stand up and say no. Say no to, to that direction and yes to the direction of the Father. You're in college and exams are right around the corner. And you, you find out a friend lives just down the hall, has some access that others don't have to the tests and some of the questions. Well, isn't there a riot within you to say no to the pathway of what others are doing and to say yes to the way of the Father? Maybe you're a, a board member for a corporation. And the discussion around the table is going in a direction that you know is immoral. You know it's not the way of God. You know, you know it's not the way of justice, of truth, of honesty. 
And you feel the, the riot rumbling within you to be at the board table and to stand up to the board of directors and say, no, this is not the right way. This is the right way. This is the way of honesty. Jesus has shown us the way. He's shown us that we can walk the way of the Father even in the midst of such troubling, painful riots within us. Where we can stand up with Jesus. We can follow Him for where we are. He is there with us. Matter of fact, it may just be in each of these cases, if you related to any one of them, that Jesus has put you there for that very reason. Because that was the reason that He was brought in the middle of this riot. In the middle of this parade, He was brought to fulfill the Father's purpose, it may be that each one of them, and if you can't relate, don't worry, sometime real soon you will. And I believe you may be there for just the reason that God has placed you there. So that you can stand up and say yes to God. To bring God the glory. Now, it, it may not be well received by those that are around you. But you see, you get now why Jesus was saying, you, you got to hate all the other stuff that can so easily distract you from loving God fully, completely. The good news, friends, is that we have a king who is our servant. We have a king who has died for us, who fulfilled the Father's will perfectly, and who is at work in us so that we can be learning, being transformed to do the same. Now, I'm just as sure as I and you can relate to at least one or two of those stories, we can remember times when we've been in those and we've failed. We've gone the way of the crowd instead of the way of Jesus. Well, that's why Jesus died for us. To forgive us. To cleanse us. That's why he stays with us as our servant king. He doesn't slap us upside the head and say, get back out there and do it right. He welcomes us. He cleanses us off. He empowers us, equips us, gives us one another and sends us back out. So it does not matter the ways you failed in the past and the ways I've failed in the past to, to follow the way of God. God uses those, forgives us. He leads us in those ways to, to train us and to change us. And He sends us out, continuing to empower and equip us so that we will grow closer and closer and follow Jesus more closely in the midst of the riots within us and the crowds around us tempting us to set aside just to lower a notch our love for God, our desire to glorify Him and to satisfy the other voices around us. Brothers and sisters in Christ, we have a humble God one who has given us access to Him, 
We have a servant king who serves perfectly and now fills us so that we too will serve him in that same direction, in that same humility, and in that same power. So come to a time of offering. May, may we in, that, in this moment receive God's offering for us in Jesus Christ. And may we continue this day to offer ourselves totally to Him. As we've been praying these last 22 days, Jesus, be Lord of our lives in new ways. Take us another step closer to You to offer ourselves more, to be more and more like You. Whatever the place and the season, whatever the temptation, whatever the challenge. Let us offer ourselves to God. Let us worship Him not by just putting what fits in the plate, but putting our whole selves in the plate. For He is a King worthy of our service. For He has served us with His total being. Amen.